When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, we're so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday, November 11th. We break down the Virginia Tech win over Wake Forest from this Saturday. We'll talk a little Hokie hoops a little bit later. Hokies off to a 2-0 start, a win over Coppin State on Friday. And we'll talk Matt on the mound towards the end of the podcast. Hokies wrestling on in English field on Sunday, a win over Northwestern. We've got our normal crew today on the Tech Sideline podcast. Behind the scenes, we've got Malcolm, Malcolm Stewart producing on the podcast set, managing editor Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho Will Stewart, and I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so much to everybody for being with us. This weekend, every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Rome, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning. Monday morning after a great weekend in Blacksburg that featured some cold days like Saturday, a uh, warm day like Sunday <laughs> in the 60s. It's supposed to snow on Tuesday. Uh, it is that time is really? of the year in oh, Blacksburg. Yeah, it is. Hey, actually, my wife told me this morning they've changed it to rain. And uh, that's actually worse. If it's going to be cold, it just might as well snow. I know. I, Every I, student's disappointed. When you <laughs> and and I did that thing yesterday of washing my truck without checking the weather forecast. <laughs> so so I'm going to enjoy how it looks today Yep. on Monday. So, well, you, so you sound like you're picking something up. You sound a little hoarse today. I do know, I? I? Just slightly, just oh. slightly. Were you all excited during Matt on the Mound yesterday? <laughs> I might have been. I did not notice a, uh, a change. Okay. It was all those to. interviews he was doing with Mike Young on Friday night. That's right. So, <laughs> so, Evan, you had a busy weekend. You you did the court-side interviews for men's basketball, right? And then what would you do Saturday? A Bear Tailgate Show. Yep. 105 Through the Bear. The pre-pregame show leading into the, the IMG, the uh, Learfield IMG pregame. Where do they do that? Where are they? Uh, the grassy knoll yeah. outside of uh, Lot 2. Uh, just, yeah, just outside the south end zone. You know, at some point I'm going to drink about eight beers and then wander by there while you're on the air. You know, if people, <laughs> hey, you should, people should come by because so, uh, Mockadoo's is out there and they actually give out free sandwiches they sure do. chips pickles you know and what drinks. though you can't talk about that they're, they're not a sponsor of the tech sideline podcast they need i'll just give that. you more reason to come by and see me <laughs> all right let's um, see what you're saying yes come get free sandwiches yeah just come come by have a good time so me and tim donnelly um and then 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 sunday you did play by play for uh matt on the mound right yes sir yeah hardest working man in uh sports broadcasting <laughs> It was, a, it was a good weekend, though. A lot to get through. Excited everyone's with us, though, for the Tech Sideline Podcast. I do want to start off, uh, today is Veterans Day as we record on uh, Monday morning, November 11th. And just want to take uh, time before we get started to, to thank the veterans, those that serve uh, abroad and allow us to do things like the Tech Sideline Podcast and, uh, and keep our country safe. So uh, happy Veterans Day to all those who served. So my dad, who passed away in uh, April, was a Korean War veteran. And uh, he, um, 
so he was he was from Pulaski, and uh, you know I, I guess he got drafted, and and they they threw him on a train, took him all the way out to uh, California. I can't remember exactly where it was, but uh, he said there were something like three thousand guys getting deployed where he was, and uh, I, I I don't remember how they did this, if they did it alphabetically or not, but uh, we're stewards, so we're generally in the in the later part of alphabetical stuff, so. If I remember the uh, story correctly, um, out of those 3,000 guys, something like uh, 2,400 of them got sent to the front and 600 or 600 of them got sent to desk jobs in Japan. And that's where my dad went. My dad was ahead of desk job during the Korean War. Fell in love with uh, Japan and Tokyo. So, uh, yeah, he I guess he did that two or three years, you know. So he, uh, he, he used to fuss all my life about uh, being at the end of the alphabet. He actually told me when I was growing up, he said, you should add a silent A to the beginning of your name so you don't wind up at the end of the alphabet all the time. <laughs> but that is one instance where it worked out really well for him. Now, he did tell me another story one time of being on a military ship, and because he was towards the end of the alphabet, he got stuck underneath way up towards the front of the boat up and down and up and down he says that's the sickest i've ever been so you know everything's got its pluses and minuses absolutely well thank yeah. you to him for his service um seasickness is a real thing by the way that, the motion sickness that is, that is uh, a real thing yeah I, I, I wrote a boat i won't bore you with the details it's actually kind of interesting story but we don't have time for it but i i rode a boat one time and i woke up in the middle of the night and this was a decent sized boat it was a quote-unquote yacht I don't know my boat lengths, maybe 90 feet long, not huge, but not small. And the seas were rough. And I remember sitting there in the dark, Yeah, it woke me up. So I went up above decks and I remember sitting there in the dark, focusing on the horizon and just watching the horizon kind of stay in the same place while the boat was moving Where around. Where were you on a 90 foot yacht? Oh, I, I wanted to <laughs> well, yacht, that's yacht in air quotes. Uh, I was okay. working for Sperry in Charlottesville uh, yeah. and they had a, sh a boat. They called it a yacht. I don't remember the name of it. And they used to test all their marine equipment, oh, radars and Makes collision sense. avoidance systems and guidance systems. And, and that was just, as a young engineer, that was just my boss sending me to, you know, be immersed in that environment. So. How about we do a Tech Sideline podcast on a yacht sometime? You guys down? If anyone has a yacht, they maybe uh, donate for a day. And we can, uh, <laughs> well, you know, we're trying to work ourselves up to where we can buy a boat. <laughs> if, we, if, if, we, if we were hurricanesideline.com, that should be easy. That or be easy. or is, is it the University of, well, Tennessee, they... Uh, they, they tailgate on, on the river there. Yeah. The same thing at Washington. Yeah, they call it boat, what do they call it? They call it boat gating or something like yeah. that. I can't remember. Yeah, okay. And I think they do something similar at the University of Washington, too. Interesting. Well, again, November 11th, thank you to all the veterans. And uh, listen, we've got a lot to get into, as Will said. Yeah, sorry to uh, take time. No, no. Uh, we, we've got, of course, the football game to break down. But a little, I do want to get into a little bit of basketball. Uh, you guys were live tweeting that game on Friday and then wrestling. Uh, so much to get through about this game for Wake Forest. You know, We had a, a long talk about it on Wednesday, previewing it. And, and you guys did talk about how you felt like Virginia Tech had a, a real chance in this one. Um, and they played their best game of the year, 36-17, the final score, Hokies over Wake. I do want to start with this, though, because going back and listening to the podcast Wednesday, I felt like as the host, I did not do a good enough job of talking about Bud Foster right. and what this game was going to mean for Bud, the Bud Foster appreciation game, and uh, what a, a sight it was for him leading the, the team on Beamer Way, getting off the bus, um, to the pregame ceremony, to having his name in the lunch pail uh, in the north end zone uh, with the, the likes of Michael Vick and Coach Beamer and others. It was a really emotional, special day. And, and how about 
to, to, to cap it off, to put a bow on it, he, he draws up a great game plan against one of the best offenses in the country in Wake Forest, holds him to 17 points. I'll, I'll start with you. Aside from the game, Chris, what was the day like for you watching uh, Bud Foster be celebrated? Yeah, it's it's certainly it has the end of an era feel to it. it it's weird that you celebrate the end of someone's career, but they've still got three games left. Yeah. So uh, from that standpoint, it was a little bit strange. And I guess they're not doing it against Pitt because it's also senior day and they don't want to do two things in the same day. But <laughs> As people on the boards have been joking, singer day, sing, senior day will take about two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll do – I was thinking about this. Maybe they'll do longer descriptions of, maybe, maybe, of, of maybe their so. three or four yeah. seniors. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I thought it was – I don't know. I don't think it's really hit home. I don't think it'll really hit home until you, you see the next defensive coordinator coaching Virginia Tech. Yeah. Like, and it didn't really hit home that Beamer was gone until you saw Fuente on the sideline with a headset for the first time. Um, but, man, yeah, you can't really put into words what that guy's meant. And, and certainly he didn't do it all by himself because he had a lot of help from some really good players, but he recruited and developed those players. And it, you know how unique it is to be able to say – that you created a culture and a brand. And Bud technically didn't create the lunch pail. It was Rod Sharpless. But Bud took the defensive coordinator job the next year and ran with that lunch pail. And he created the brand for it. And uh, that's, that's a very difficult thing to do uh, because you have to stay in one place at a long, long time, and you got to be really good. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we'll, – we'll, we'll continue to feel the impact of Bud Foster here for years, no doubt. So I think, uh, you know, Bud and, and Sharpless were co-defensive coordinators in 95. In, in 95. And I get a chuckle every time Rod Sharpless's name, Rod Sharpless's name come up, comes up. He, he left Tech in 96 to go be the defensive coordinator at Rutgers. That was a good career decision. Yeah, I call that committing no career suicide. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tell people, and then Rod Sharpless committed career suicide by going to Rutgers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at that point in time, Rutgers and, and Tech were similar level programs. Um, you know, and it's just, of course, they've had a very different history in the 25 or 30 years since then. So, uh, do you want to talk about the, the ceremony on, on the field? Um, first of all, let me back up. You know, Hokie Vision, I thought, did a really great job putting together about a 10 minute uh, tribute video to Coach Foster. It was really well done, had a couple of really good interviews in there. Um, and I, I felt like kind of set the table for the pregame ceremony on, on Saturday. And, you know, what Babcock was out there in midfield, Coach Beamer, Coach Fuente, his family. Uh, and then I think it was kind of the, the surprise for everybody to see his, his name uh, in the yeah. north end zone with all the, the hokey greats uh, from Jim Lloyd to Michael yeah. Vick to Coach we, Beamer. We did not know that was coming. Didn't know that was coming. told about that. What, no. what, do you, what do you guys think about that, having his name enshrined? Oh, it's, it's well deserved. I think it's a great idea. Um, he doesn't have a number, so you put the lunch pail up there. And he's a guy that, that needs to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. I mean, as a coordinator, you can make such a big impact on the game. And he's arguably the best we, in, in, football, in college football history. So he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And they're, I don't know, their Hall for assistant coaches or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't but, know that that even is a thing. No, so that, it's not, a, as far as I, I know. I don't know if any I, assistant coaches are in the college. I, have, I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I know baseball. You know, baseball put umpires in the Hall of Fame and things right. like that. Um, I think there are a few from way back in the day. Do they do broadcasters in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm sure guys like Kerry, Harry Carey should. Vin, Vin Scully? Vin, I'm well, sure they're he, he wouldn't be in there yet because he's just retired a couple of years ago. That's right, 60-plus. Vin's, yeah. Vin's still working, dude. He's yeah, probably right. retired, huh? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, people like that should be in there 
for, for the impacts they have on the game. And, uh, and Bud made a massive impact. Um, he changed the traject- helped change the trajectory of Virginia Tech. And, you know, I, th- I don't think Tech would be viewed in quite the same light it is right now were it not for Foster. And he's created a – like I said, just the fact that you're good enough to create and nurture a brand for over 20 years – you know, it says quite a bit about how good you are at your job. Yeah, yeah. I was watching, uh, um, watching the. I guess I watched the second half yesterday morning. I watched, excuse me, watched first half yesterday morning. Watched the second half last night, and I was watching at the end when uh, Fuente came in and attacked Bud and gave him a big, big hug. And you know, this is a, this is a big deal for Fuente because. He, yes, he took the job, and, the, and Beamer's fingerprints are all over this program, and they still hand out the number 25 jersey every game. Um, but, you know, I, I think – I don't know that everybody's ever told us this, but, but we always assumed that Bud was going to retire and uh, Galen Scott was going to take over as defense coordinator. You know, Fuente brought Scott with him, and Scott was his confidant and his friend, and, uh, you know, he's lost him through the events we all know about. He's not dead, in case you don't know. Galen Scott's not dead. <laughs> he's at Old Dominion. <laughs> he's no, not actually, he's in North Texas. He left Old oh, Dominion after like a month. Oh, I did oh, not wow. realize that. Uh-huh. Okay. So he's not working at Virginia Tech anymore. He's still alive and well. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I guess I don't, I don't want to put thoughts in Fuente's head. It's just stuff I think about. You know, Bud was a bit of a security blanket for for Justin Fuente, and then even and then even then after that, he was going to have his guy Galen Scott, who well, now, learned from Bud for four years. That was going to yeah. be the the that's what we assume was going right. to be the thing. And, and there was a time they were co-defensive coordinators, correct? Like there well, was they were, they were or, you know, that's that, true. They were going to be. Yeah, I think. And uh, I think it was announced in the off season, right? And then, and then yeah, something else was announced in the off season. <laughs> the off season yes. <laughs> so so it's it's just. Uh, um, the program will become more and more Justin Fuente's program. They're still going to have a lunch pail. They're still going to have the number 25 jersey. But, you know, he, he has to step off the ledge a little bit now on that side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I don't think I can stress enough what a unique situation this has been. Like, how many schools have had two legends retire within four years? You know how hard that is to manage for everybody involved, from the athletic director to the head coach? Um, and... You know, that happens to most programs, and they don't necessarily recover from it, right? Right. I mean, I look at where Nebraska, Tennessee, and Florida State are as programs right now. But Florida State had probably, what, their their fourth different head coach coaching a game since the end of 2017, if you count interim coaches. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Those three programs, it's a possibility that all three of them miss out on a bowl game this year for the second straight year, all three of them. I mean – I never would have dreamed of that growing up because to me, I mean, they were arguably the three best programs in the country when I was when I when I was growing up. Uh, you could make the argument, and now they're not going to bowls, you know. So when you have to replace people like Bobby Bowden and Phil Fulmer uh, and Tom Osborne, if you get it wrong, it can send you spiraling down down out of control, and it's very difficult to get back, as as we've seen from all of those schools. Uh, so far, it seems like. You know, the transition post-Beamer, you know, last year and early this year notwithstanding, certainly could be a lot worse, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's more – honestly, it's more like – you're more likely to fail. I mean, these schools are, are proof in the pudding that you're more likely to, to, to fail. Um, 
and Tech isn't. Now, now we'll see because Fuente now has to replace Foster, which will ultimately, you know, it might be the decision that decides his tenure. If he does a bad job, then. As, as I've said before, Frank, Frank had one shot at it and uh, got it right. Some, sometimes one decision you make is a difference between becoming a Hall of Famer like Frank Beamer or getting fired and going back and coaching one double A for the rest of your life. What if, what if Frank had hired a complete goob instead of Phil Elmacy? Right. Or what if Bud Foster, well, you know, Sharpless, I don't know. What if, what if the, the guys who succeeded Phil Elmacy were complete goobs? You know, I mean, who knows where all this would have gone, you know? And so uh, anybody who runs an organization will tell you that it's very important who you hire. I mean, Captain Obvious reporting for duty here, you know, but uh, <laughs> this, this is a, a big decision coming up for Justin Fuente and, and Whit Babcock and whoever else is involved in the decision. Well, let's discuss the uh, game plan that Bud Foster put together on his on his, on his day in Blacksburg. Hokies 36, 17 winners over 19th ranked Wake Forest uh, in the initial college football playoff rankings. A team that was seven and one coming in. Their only loss was a basketball score loss to Louisville, 62 to 59, and the Hokies. I mean, on, on defense, they forced turnovers. They brought blitz packages. It just felt like a Bud Foster-esque game, and the Hokies got it done. So, I, this, so Bud Foster's game plan was to have Virginia Tech hold the ball for the first 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, right. you know, but I'll, go ahead. No, it was, it was everything worked out perfectly. I, I thought the players executed it to near perfection outside of a couple of first-half turnovers. It was such a great game plan by the coaches themselves. And, uh, but the key here is, I think – they did a really good job of communicating to the players not what they needed to do from an X's and O's standpoint, but we need to control the clock and we need to keep the ball. We need to get Wake off the field because they average 86 plays per game and they wear you out. I think they did a really good job communicating to the players what it would take to what the box score would need to look like at the right. end of the game for Virginia Tech to be successful. And it just seemed like the players had a very clear idea of how to go about beating Wake Forest from, from the very beginning. Um, halftime was one of those things where you felt good and you felt bad. You felt good because Virginia Tech had completely, completely outplayed Wake in the first half. You feel bad because you're losing and, and, and you worry, oh, man, did we just squander a couple of opportunities there. But in the end, the second half, Tech was plus two in turnover, so the turnover game kind of equaled out. and. And, yeah, you know, if you go back and watch that game, throughout the turnovers, you probably feel like Virginia Tech's about 19 points better than Wake Forest, or at least they were on Saturday. So a lot a lot of things coming to mind while you're talking. Um, I did a little bit of work on my article last night. I went and looked at uh, – to, to get a, uh, a rundown of every single possession Tech has had this year, you got to dig through individual box <coughs> scores. But in their game notes, they have all of their scoring drives. So that opening field goal drive was the longest drive in terms of time. It was sure. Evan. Was it nine twenty-seven? Have you got it up there? I think it was nine. It was nine something. It was like nine and a half minutes. What Wake got the ball back. Their first offensive play. Five minutes thirty-three seconds left. Right. So nine twenty-seven was the time of possession. So it was nineteen plays, nine minutes and twenty-seven seconds. Tech hasn't had a possession, a scoring drive over seven minutes until then. They did have an 18-play drive where they kicked a field goal against Boston College, but it was only like six and a half minutes or something like that. So to, to pick that point in time to run 19 plays and chew up nine and a half minutes a clock 
you I, I can't overstate. You could not have picked a better time to go out there and have that possession. Well, not to mention trying to limit the possessions for Wake Forest, but again, something that Fuente talked about. Actually, I believe it was on Tech Talk Live. He said that if they win the toss, he would elect to receive because he wanted to basically limit possessions yeah. with no Jermaine Waller out there right. in the first right. half. Um, and not to mention, too, that on that drive, Tech converted a couple of fourth downs to keep the drive going. To, tech, the only thing Tech did poorly in this game was third down conversions. I think they were like 3 of 14 or 3 of 15 or something like that. Yeah. But then they converted both of their, their fourth down conversions. And, and they, they were both in that opening drive, yep. correct? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, um, so and, I, he, and they were both on Wake's side of the field. So, you know, I think Fuente decided that, you know, we need touchdowns and we need to bleed clock. So if, it's, if we're on their side of the field and it's a manageable situation – then, then, then we're going to go. See, for it. I thought at that point in time in the game that that was coaching to win. I like the aggressiveness. I, I, I trust my guys. I trust my play calling. We're going to go for it on fourth down. Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're not going to run eight plays and then hope that's enough. We're, we're going we're gonna to go full throttle. So that, that was pretty impressive. And um, it, again, I haven't completely run this analysis, but definitely in the first half, the only thing that stopped Virginia Tech was Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they. They had the the snap wasn't that bad. Um, it was good enough. It was it was about this high. It was a little bit to the right, but it was that's Hooker's only issue. If you go back to last year, remember when Ryan Willis got hurt against Boston College and they bring Hooker in for like a really big third down play, and it was the first play he was in the game and he fumbled fumbled a snap. It was, it was right, hit him right in the hands. Now he watched what he did. That snap got behind him, and he went and very carefully mm -hmm. got on the ball. He didn't try to do anything cute, you know. But uh, uh, I might struggle with snaps like that, but I'm not an elite athlete like Hendon Hooker. You know? Yeah, so, <laughs> so, there, so there, there's, only, there's really only one part of his game that he's got to clean up, and that's, you know, catching the football and the, snaps. And the rest yeah. will come with time. Yeah. There could be worse things to have to clean up right now. Yeah, right? there yeah. could be worse things. He could be throwing interceptions left and right and have no idea what he's doing with regards to the offense. So, so I know we're more talking defense right now, but I, I thought offensively yeah, the, vari offense, the variation yeah. in the play calling, you know, some of the screen game. Jet sweeps worked. Jet sweeps reappeared and worked. Um, you know, Mark Mark Herzlick, I, I listened to uh, Chris Cotter and Mark Herzlick call the game. And, and you know, uh, people rag on Herzlick and his, and his, and his mohawk. And, and, of course, he called the Tech Boston College game. That, that's and they called Rhode Island, I believe. I think he yeah. and Chris Cotter have called multiple games this year. Herzlick's Tech. pretty sharp. And, and Wes Durham, who does play-by-play -play for ACC Network, is also very sharp. West doesn't screw up. West knows his stuff, you know. So I've, I've been pretty impressed with some of the crews. Certainly more impressed than I was with that Miami crew, you know. That, right. that, that that's a whole other topic. Uh, but anyway, they were very complimentary of Tech using all parts of the field on offense. The pop pass reappeared. Oh, yeah. and that's it's, it's reappeared two it games in a row, and it's worked both times. But one got called back for a penalty, and the other got fumbled away. That's yeah. a shame. Yeah, there, yeah. there was one play I actually watched specifically Herzog was talking about. The, the James Mitchell were not necessarily a screen, but basically tech. It's almost like a, a, a naked bootleg where the yeah, blocker leaves yeah. and, and Hooker's got to take the pressure mm -hmm. and then finds Mitchell. It was just a – he was really praising the, the, the creativity of the offense. Well, I, I sat there in the stadium and I, I watched how Wake lined up defensively and I don't think they were – they were the opposite of Notre Dame basically, whereas Notre Dame put their defensive backs – right up in the face of the Tech wide receivers and pretty much said, okay, Quincy, you throw the ball up to him. Um, Wake was the other way. Wake was very much playing the bend but don't break style 
as you would expect, as yeah. we kind of thought they would when you just look at their total yardage that they've allowed and everything this year. They were playing their guys back. They were playing their corners off. They were playing their safeties off the line of scrimmage. All that underneath passing stuff was there. Yeah. And and Tech knew it was going to be there, and, and they took it. It's really remarkable how much better Brad Cornelison is as a game planner and a play caller when Hendon Hooker's under center. Right. Well, not under center, you know, in behind the shotgun. Center. Yeah. <laughs> behind center. That's old school, under center. No under center. Uh, let, let's talk about offense. We'll get back to defense in a minute. Listen, Hooker missed, uh, missed Notre Dame, missed the second half of North Carolina, 15 of 23, 242 yards through the air, along of 50, no passing touchdowns, and then running the football um, – had that big rushing touchdown uh, at the end of the game. Did fumble in the red zone, but that was his first turnover of the season. Was it really? Man. So he got get, he got hit hard. That uh, Basham kid plays hard for Wake Forest. Like I'd, he I'd, he chased that play down for behind, and Hooker made that little spin move or whatever, and he was right there. I was actually I saw that play. And I'm like, man, is Hooker gonna get up? Because because yeah. he was not expecting that hit. Yeah. He didn't know Basham was right behind him. Hooker, 15 attempts, uh, just under 70 yards, a touchdown on the ground. So when you look at him coming back, my first question, I'm not just going to ask you how did he look. When you look at the offense, we've seen three Tech quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. When he is in the game, I was about to say under center too, when he's <laughs> in the game, how does he change the Tech offense, to put it simply? Well, I think they, they can stretch you horizontally and vertically. And that that's always a great challenge. Um, North Carolina can do the same thing because their their running backs are so athletic and they can attack you know side to side. Uh, and then their quarterback has such a great arm they throw deep a lot. So it's a little bit different uh, w- w- with Hooker, but it's still the same thing. He stresses all he can stress all areas of the field, and that's how that, that that's when things get really difficult for a defense. Um, I, you know the the sad thing is you know Ryan Willis is quite frankly capable of doing the same thing he's a good enough athlete he's not he's not going to juke you like hooker but he's got good straight ahead speed and a great arm um he just uh the offense they were running with him he just could not just didn't make good decisions out on the field uh so it could have looked the same kind of the same way with willis with a little bit different play selection and everything like that but i just think it's anytime you have a guy like hooker and uh, and I think Cornelson is obviously when he's got a guy like Hooker is seems to be a pretty darn good play caller. I think yeah. when he's got a um, a mobile quarterback, excuse me, I'm also going to say a dual threat quarterback because Hooker can pass too. Uh, when he's got a dual threat quarterback that grasps, he leverages the, it the entire offense. You know, you yeah. know the the whole Tyrod Taylor Michael Vick. Well, we won't go Michael Vick because he was so exceptional. But the whole Tyrod Taylor thing was. Run a conventional offense, and if it doesn't work, just let Tyrod run. Right. Let Tyrod right. scramble. Right. You know, and, and I think Cornelson does a better job oh, my of, of leveraging yeah. in as part of the play calling. Correct. And it's it's not even close. He, he's, yeah. So, and it almost makes you wonder, I don't want to have the conversation, like, again, of, of why why Willis was the starting quarterback. Yeah. Because I, I do understand why he was. But uh. well, for, uh, I will follow up quickly on that because it's something that gets talked about a lot on the boards. Of course, the coaching staff has their reason. They see him every day. Was Willis starting this year just a, a byproduct of him starting the majority of last year, well, being a redshirt senior? I mean, it makes sense on paper to I, start I, him, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, have, you assume your wide receivers are going to be a strength, and therefore you, you want to start the quarterback – with the most experience in the passing game. Then all the wide receivers got hurt, so that, that took that part of it away. You assume Willis is going to improve. He didn't. 
you know, even and even when he didn't improve in practice, you're like, okay, he was always a lights-on player last year, meaning he played well when the lights came on and not necessarily well in practice. That's going to continue this year. It didn't. So everything you assume would happen did not happen. Plus, quite frankly, they didn't want their fourth starting quarterback in four years, and I can't yeah. say I blame them for that. And, and so. it gets back to what I also keep harping on is that they, they you know, we used to say they put the yellow jersey on the quarterbacks in practice, but I think Fuente, they put orange jerseys yeah. on the quarterbacks in practice. And it just – there's parts of QB's games you don't get to see when you right. do that. Right. You, you do not get to see Hendon Hooker juke anybody. You get to see the quarterbacks make the read in the read option game. So you have a feel for who can read the defensive end But even better. then they're making reads knowing they're not going to get hit. So – You know, yeah. so that's a good point, you know, but you, you don't see what he does when he gets that second level of, of the defense. So – uh, in addition to what Chris said about Hooker being in the game, you know the the tight ends appear and disappear mm-hmm. in the same way they they're they're handing, they're attached at the hip with Hendon Hooker. Yeah, but and I see in watching the game yesterday. I mean, I saw it in the in the watching it from the stands, but watching the game yesterday, some of the moves that McLeese and King are putting on people. You see that second cut by Oof. King. Just yeah, forty yeah. yard line. That, that, now, see, that's I always. Now, Wake's not a good tackling team. Brandon Patterson detailed that in his article last week. They're a very poor one-on-one tackling team in the open field. That being said, you know that's the type of moves we've been wanting to see from Tech running backs in the open field. That's been moved by McLeese. Wow. My my uh, whole our whole gripe going into the season was where are the exceptional running backs? Right. You know. And they still, you know, McLeese and King aren't physical guys, but at least they're showing well, they're the, showing something in the hole. Well, they're, they're showing vision, patience, uh, and even, you know, a little bit of juking, breaking, tackle-breaking ability here and there. That, that run for a touchdown that McLeese had where he just got the handoff, he stopped, waited for the offensive lineman and tight end to clear the weight guys out to, and then cut right behind them back to the right. I Are mean, you talking about the one I think it was in the north end zone? Yeah. The, the wake players cleared themselves out. Okay. They, they went. I watched that last night, right. and, and I kind of chuckled, and I'm like, I wish I could cut that up and right. put it on YouTube. Right. Well, they, it was, they went after Hooker. It was probably a slant call by the defensive line or something like that. You know, you know I, I don't know what they're – but those two guys went with Hooker, and then they had the old – I call it the old crap look where you yeah. look behind yourself. Oh, yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. If I had told you on Wednesday when we did this podcast that Tech would rush for 228 yards, you would have said what? I don't think that would have surprised me. No, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, Wake's defense isn't great. And we didn't know for 100% fact that Hooker would be starting. We assumed he, he, w- he would be and that he would be 100% and all that. I wouldn't have been surprised for it. I ran the numbers uh, the running game with Hooker starting and without Hooker in the starting lineup, and I put them in yesterday's article. I forget, I forget what the exact numbers are, but the worst rushing performance under Hendon Hooker was in his first start, 153 yards at Miami. That's better than four of the five rushing performances without him as the starting. You know, it's funny you did that because they did the exact same thing on the broadcast. Oh, did they really? Yeah, they talked about the average yards rushing under Hooker, and Herzog said something like Virginia Tech's worst performance under Hooker is better than all but one of. So, yeah. Yeah. And and I'm sure that was probably against Furman or Rhode Island or something. Oh, it was Furman. Yeah, Yeah. it was the only only game they rushed for 200 yards without Hooker. Doesn't really count. Yeah. Uh, Receiving-wise, Hazleton, (laughs) seven receptions, 86 yards. Mitchell caught three passes for 58 yards. Of course, Wheatley had that big, uh, the pop pass. My my, my only issue in this game is why do you you run that play to somebody who hasn't played offense all year? 
Uh, Wheatley? Yes. Yeah. Is that is that to disguise? That's one thing I was Prob- thinking. Was, maybe. Uh, they well, wouldn't key in on Wheatley, per se, they maybe wouldn't out of the key backfield? In, but at the same time, no, it, it clearly worked, so it was the right decision by them from an X's and O's standpoint. Uh, my whole thing is he hasn't, except for your odd kickoff return here and there, he hasn't been tackled all year. He hadn't – so – you know, and, and so what What if they'd run it with King? Would King have outrun the defense? Right, I, know, right. I know Cole Beck would outrun the defense. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. I don't know how his, how, how his collarbones yeah. feeling, but Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because if I'm a defender and I see a guy that I know doesn't play and then he comes into the game, I'd be like, like huh. huh, what's coming here? I'm going to approach this play very cautiously. Mm-hmm. And if I give up five or ten yards because I'm being cautious, that's fine. But they're not going to beat me on some kind of a trick play here. Yeah. Uh, did it anyway. So obviously it was a great call from an X's and O's standpoint. And maybe if they'd run it with different personnel, maybe it wouldn't have worked for all I know. But uh, ideally, you like to get the ball into someone's hands who's who, who's used to used to running, used to being tackled and and not fumbling, right? Yeah. Uh, and he just hadn't gotten hit that much this year. Nitpicking. We are. I am, I am nitpicking a nineteen point. Here, here's a, here's a, here's something I will pose to you guys. That will return into a positive before we go to the defense. You know, again, I felt I go back to the, the Duke game and how that the fumbled exchange between Hooker and King to me changed the entire course of that game. It was like that one play and everything went south. You look at a couple of things that Tech had to overcome in that sure. game. Will started off. You started off by talking about that drive. Nine over nine minutes of that drive, they end up with a field goal. They could not convert in the red zone. Something that Tech teams have been really good at this year. Um, you look at the fumble from Wheatley. I mean, they had, they had chances in the first half to score. They only had six points. And to come out like they did in the second half, end up scoring 36 for the game, to me it just felt like a young team taking another step forward, a little bit punched in the mouth there in the first half, and responded well in the second half. Uh, yeah, I think they punched themselves in the mouth in the first better, half. Better way, yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, other than that, I thought they were clearly better than Wake, except for the turnovers. Um yeah, you know, they did not respond to adversity against Duke at all, clearly. Um, they mentally checked out of that game and just went through the motions for a good two-thirds of their football game. And, you know, when, when things got going, things got a little tough in the Wake Forest game, you know, they did the opposite. They said, okay, we were clearly better than them in the first half, so if we just don't screw it up in the second half, we're going to win this game just and, keep and, and just keep at it. And and that's exactly what they did. I mean, they all played him in all three phases of the game. That was a great – that was a really, really good performance by Tech. Um, it was probably – gosh, when, when's the last time Tech had a performance that good against a good team? I am actually going to – and I, I promise I will do a Monday Thoughts today. I've been kind of <laughs> iffy. I've been playing hurt and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm I'm gonna run the numbers. I already know what the section is going to be called. It's going to be called "Long Time Coming." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be an analysis of when was the last time Tech did this to a conference team, a Power Five team, a ranked team. Right. And well, to me, it's not necessarily about the stats, but when they actually played well to the level of the, of a good opponent. Right. Yeah. And to me, it'd be the West Virginia game last year. Even though they got outgained statistically, but that was the last time. Or two, oh, years, two years ago. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say that yeah. was last year. Yeah, was Holy two, cow! It was, two, it was two years ago. Um, yeah. So to me, that's the last time that, probably the last time that we saw them play. Really, I, I thought they played well against Oklahoma State in the bowl game too. They were just uh, yeah. they were missing Cam Phillips and. And then know, and they went on that long drive and fumbled down at the goal yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so yeah it, it's been a while but and it was the but, first but i'm talking about they just beat a ranked power five opponent by multiple scores yeah, they hammered them right and that's yeah. been a while it, it's been a while i don't care that it's wake forest you know oh you know and and wakes we, we were just talking about duke right and how tech didn't respond to adversity against duke well wakes a much better football team than duke and, and they're yeah. probably going to prove that here uh, well they year. they beat them by like 50 last year yeah. I mean, Duke, we've seen Dukes ever since they beat Virginia Tech go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were 500 going into last weekend. You, you know, we, we joke about that 98 Temple game. People joke that that game never happened. You know, pe- people will bring it up and somebody else, and it's a running joke on our message boards. Oh, you remember we didn't play Temple that year, you know? Uh-huh. And, and I, I just don't know. I hope one day we'll get to that level of joking about that Duke game. Uh, that, well, you know, the, there's, there's certain times, you know, the Temple game was was an embarrassment quite frankly it was in the middle of the season and that was a really good tech team well, and they were good right? tech was good before that game and they were good after that game right it was, um, they were missing their quarterback right? now there were other times like there were some embarrassing losses like 16 to nothing at home against cincinnati which has looked back on it as a point of pride now because of what tech did after it the jmu loss you gotta laugh at the jmu loss now because I mean, Tech went eleven and two afterwards, and 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 or excuse me, eleven and zero. One out. Yeah, one out, and went to the Orange Bowl. So you've got to laugh and say, and use it as a point of pride, and say, look what we were able to do when faced with that kind of adversity. So, depending on how the rest of the season goes, and this is certainly how it's played out so far, but that that Duke game will be, I mean, you don't you don't put your head in in the sand and 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 avoid the conversation, and that, that could turn into a point of pride. Yeah. Not necessarily that we lost by 35 at home, but what we did after that and how we were able to overcome it in just one week. So I, w- I would like to, in, in the future, you know, I think everybody thought Tech bottomed out last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like in the future to look back on that Duke game as, as when they truly bottomed out. Um, yeah. So it yeah. gets into this conversation, and I want to cover this on the podcast. Uh, I, I've done a terrible job picking games this year. Um, throw out Furman, Rhode Island, and even throw out ODU. You, you know, you knew Tech, were go- Tech was going to win those. I picked them to beat Boston College. They didn't. Uh, picked them to beat Duke. They did not. Picked them to lose to Miami. They did not. Uh, what's next? North Carolina. I don't remember what I picked in that oh, one. Oh, I, I know what I picked. I picked the same score three weeks in a row. I picked Virginia <laughs> Tech to lose. No, I did it intentionally this past week. I actually – I kind of thought Tech was going to win on Saturday, but I, for the you know sake of continuing to pick at twenty seven twenty four the other team, <laughs> I did it and uh, and it worked. Uh, I can't do I can't in good conscience do it this week against Georgia Tech. Yeah, so so and then I picked them to lose to Wake Forest. They didn't. So I've said on the podcast and I said in an article this last week, I'm picking Tech to win out. I really hope I start being right. I, I don't want to continue to be wrong. <laughs> you know where you were right? I thought about I, I thought about two things driving in about Will today. Number one, the Radford Polo needs to come back from last week. The uh, the uh, with the Wake Forest colors, that was a. Or maybe, uh, or maybe he just needs to wear the team colors. Yes. Although no, he wore them against Duke. But but it's okay. He's got a fresh start. He's got yes. the, uh, yeah. the. And then I thought about you know, maybe I'm emphasizing this too much, but I thought about the last couple weeks when we talked about injuries. Will's always brought up the Sean Crawford. And Crawford having that interception in the second half. Will, my question to you is going to be, how did this Tech defense limit such a potent Wake Forest offense? But I'll, I'll kick it off talking about your boy Deshaun Crawford with four tackles and an interception. Talk to me. And had to be helped off the field. You Again, know, yeah. oh, how productive would that guy be if he was healthy? You know, and, 
and he's a guy I really wish they had him more than just this year and next year. Um, but you ask me how they limited the Wake Forest offense. Honestly, I'm not really sure, except they played better. Now, we did see – I think we did see more attempts to pressure the quarterback. We saw some of the different – like like the one that created the Dax Hollyfield interception was Garbutt looping around behind a couple of tackles who slanted in. Uh, some people are – not some people. Everybody's a better analyst than I am, and maybe they've noticed us doing that kind of thing this year. I, it's not something I've noticed a lot. So, Garbutt comes up the middle, and, uh, and Dax – so Herzlick was saying that Dax was blitzing on that play. I'm not sure. Dax occupied a defensive tackle, but he didn't really look like he was trying to get get back in the backfield. And then he was just the recipient of the ball, fluttering out like that. But the uh, the Crawford uh, interception was classic. Uh, what they used to call that, Chris, zone blitz. Yeah. I don't know what they call it that anymore. Yeah, where, that's what they call it. Where you bring a linebacker or two and you, and you confuse the quarterback and you drop the defensive tackle back into coverage or a defensive end. And, and I remember my, my first exposure to that play was in the late 90s when Tech used to do that stuff. They'd go eight deep on the defensive line. And I remember, I think, Chris Cyrus getting an interception because Tech was doing the zone blitz with the defensive ends. It's a very confusing thing for the quarterback to deal with. And even a tall guy like Newman just just didn't see it, you know. And and credit to Crawford for not dropping the football, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it surprised him. It just stuck right there. But uh, yeah. Tech did a great job taking away the short Wake Forest routes. Um, there were time and time again where he wanted to get rid of the ball on those quick throws, and he couldn't do it because those guys were covered up. Yeah, and Hersley pointed that out. He said he, he he noticed what they were doing in man coverage. He said they're they're leaving the linebackers, which which was Ashby and, and Hollyfield, in the sh- to cover the short patterns in the middle, and, and they showed Newman dropping back, making a read, and getting ready to throw the ball, and then hesitating, and then I think getting sacked by Belmar. I think that correct. Was, that, that that's was absolutely Belmar correct. Yeah. Um, also, best game of the season for Reggie Floyd by yeah. far. Let me, let me preface uh, it. Led the team with ta- I'm sorry, Divine Diablo led the team with tackles with nine, and then it was Floyd in second with eight. Yeah, so, and so over the middle collectively, I thought the safeties had their best game. And that was the weak spot, man. We Everybody else on this defense is playing well enough that if you knew you got a good game out of the safeties, the defense was going to play really well. And they got a really good game from the safeties this week, and the overall stats are there to back it up. Um, I, I think when you look at some of the other stuff, as far as the interception to Crawford goes on the zone blitz, you know, it wasn't even Newman's fault, man. Uh, that Crawford dropped back so late. He basically didn't start dropping back until about the time Newman was probably getting the motion hit. started. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and Crawford's so short; he's listed at six feet, which means he's probably five eleven. Right? There's no, you know, he's shorter than that defensive lineman. Then uh, Newman probably just couldn't see him, and he was getting hit by Garbutt anyway. So he you just throw it at that point. You throw <laughs> yeah. it where there's nobody at, and as far as he could tell, there was nobody there. And that's just, that's just a good. Good defensive play. Herzlick actually was looking. You watch, he was rushing, and he was he had no chance of getting to the quarterback right. whatsoever. So he just dropped back, and then just it was a ball in his stomach. I mean, he was yeah. Uh, and Garbett calls both interceptions. We need to point that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both interceptions. Yeah, Garb Garbett didn't have an obscene, obscene stat line, but he had a big influence on the game. Um, when I look at the Tech defense, they're, they're playing so much better the last few weeks, and the things we saw early in the season, and frankly last season. We're not seeing lately. You know, I don't want to jinx them by saying, oh, they're over it. But, you know, the, the bad angles from Reggie on the running plays, um, Dax getting exposed on the perimeter because uh, he doesn't change direction very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, Belmar giving up containment. Yeah, he's 
we're magically not seeing stop those that. things. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope we don't see them. They, they, there are not enough. You, could, I mean, you go back 10, 15 years in time, and there was incredible talent on the Tech defense. This defense has talent on it. They're not that talented. They can't make mistakes. You know. Now they're also blessed with at least when Hendon Hooker's in the game. They're blessed with having a better offense on the other side. So you can give up 17 and not lose 17 sure. to 10 or 17 <laughs> to 13. Last thing I want to say before we step aside for a timeout. Uh, I know you can't look too closely at this, but it's just fun for the message boards and the discussion. Uh, one ESPN projection right now for bowls has Virginia Tech in the orange, in the bowl. orange bowl. I will leave that to you guys against, just Georgia. Try, against Georgia. Oh, that should be fun. I like the other one that has Tech in the Music City Bowl against Mississippi State. I like that one much better. Well, yeah, it sounds. Uh, you don't want to spend New Year's Eve in South Beach, Will? Going to uh, New Year's Day? You know, Chris what? and I went to that no. Kansas Orange Bowl, and it was like forty, 40 degrees. degrees. That's <laughs> right. the, the, the people of the hotel said it was the coldest it's been in Miami in fifty years. Yeah, thanks. And I was like, thanks for that. Yeah. Akib Talib. Yes, Akeem on that Talib. team. Yes, yeah. he was. Got to pick six. Um, now, Tech could be obviously beat Mississippi State. Don't think they would beat Georgia. It, it, they wouldn't beat Georgia's. Georgia's ranked what fifth in the country, right, or they well, will no, be after no, the Penn State. Loss. All right, now listen. We wouldn't beat Georgia's. Our A game would not beat Georgia's A game. It's a bowl game. Georgia's got so many good players. You don't know how many of them would skip the bowl game to get ready for the draft. You don't. You don't even know how many of them would be mentally dialed in to play a Virginia Virginia Tech team that lost to Duke by thirty five points. That's the way they'd see it, right? Right. So. I'm not saying they're, they're they're in their SEC bubble. Uh, right, They'd right. be like, "Oh, come on!" Hey, that's yeah, right, how we right. get the Tech sideline podcast on the yacht. Uh, we play in the Orange Bowl, that's and then true. we uh, we just run a yacht. Yes, yeah. we, we <laughs> yeah um, subscription price going up, going up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, like, uh, I would not pick Virginia Tech to beat Georgia, but it's it's a we're talking bowls here. It's bowl game, Even, and you know what? I'll take the Orange Bowl. Can, can you imagine? Starting out two and two and looking so bad in those are the first first four seasons and or first winding four games and saying wind up in the uh, orange bowl. It's fun talking projections. Uh, let's step aside for a time out here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. I want to quickly talk about men's basketball uh, with the win over Coppin State on Friday. The Hokies are two and zero in men's hoops. Uh, and want to highlight the weekend that it was in Blacksburg because a lot of uh, other teams at Tech uh, did a lot of good things this weekend. We'll come back and we'll also get to your questions on Facebook Live. Be sure to start dropping those so Malcolm can take a look and we'll get them answered here on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back to the Tech Sideline Podcast. We were recording on Monday, November 11th. So glad that everybody could be with us. Evan Hughes, we've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set. Chris Coleman and Will Stewart. Just recap, Virginia Tech's win over 19th ranked Wake Forest. First time the Hokies have beaten a ranked team in the lane, by the way, since 2009. Meant to throw that in there. That was against Miami. I think that included eight losses against ranked teams. I believe that's what the number Well, and the crazy thing is, I remember seeing on the bottom line going into the Notre Dame game, Virginia Tech has won 10 of their last 12 road games against top 25 teams. And almost mm-hmm. made it 11. Almost made it 11. I mean, which is incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. The, the, the woes of playing in Lane Stadium, right? Just who, who, saw, make, who saw that coming? It doesn't make Last any time sense. that happened, I was at the game. I was in uh, third grade. So <laughs> good to uh, – And that that was full 
foaming at the mouth hokey fans you foaming know, at the mouth of rain too. raining like yeah. crazy it and was we pouring. didn't care oh my gosh against miami yeah, yeah. Um, listen, let's transition from football talk, though. I do want to spend a, a little bit here, maybe three or four minutes or so, uh, talking about men's basketball. Hosted Coppin State. Uh, Mike Young picking up his first win uh, of his Hokie career at Castle Coliseum, a place that he grew up in and watched a lot of Hokies basketball. Um, listen, Coppin State. Not one of the better teams Ooh, to put it nicely. Um, at only score. a MIAC team, man. MIAC. Yeah, but, but they, they were super bad. You know, but I, they've actually gotten better under Juan Dixon. I think yeah, Maryland Eastern Shore could crush them, and that's saying something. No, nah, Maryland Eastern Shore wouldn't. <laughs> They're <laughs> nah. in the MIAC too, right? Where, where's Ace Custis when you need him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but here, here's what I do want to talk about, though. Obviously, it, it's it's t- it's a tough sample size, right? You know, Tech blowout win. But the one thing that I felt like I noticed in that game was Tech and their hustle and Hunter Couture on the floor yeah. at multiple times diving for balls. We saw Tyrese Radford play extremely well off the bench. A couple of blocked shots in the game. Uh, I just felt like it was a scrappy effort from Virginia Tech against Coppin State. Chris, I'll, I'll lead it off with you. What did you take from that game? You know, Mike Young, uh, you actually used the term paint touch. After the did game. he really? Yeah, he yeah. said uh, – I asked, well, they asked him about a uh, defensive performance, and he was like, "It looks good on the on the box score, but Coppin State they shot horribly. We're still allowing too many paint touches," is what he basically said. Too easily, yeah, yeah. yeah um, they 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 broke the defense down a few times. Yeah, and and as Tech faces teams with more talent, you'll be able to tell it. Now, Coppin State's not good. Believe it or not, they did win eight or nine MEAC games last year, which tells you how no bad. Kidding. Oh, yeah. Holy yeah. I mean, cow. that's an awful conference. They're, they're so, not good, yeah. but they double down on it by playing poorly. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's not, not much you can take away from that game other than, yes, the, a lot of young teams, you, you have to maybe teach them how to play hard. And he, clear, he clearly doesn't have to teach this team how to play hard. Uh, I mean, if, if Buzz Williams was coaching, he would be saying, oh, Hunter, Hunter Couture is an OKG. That's what right. he'd be saying. That, that dude leads the country in floor burns so far. Yeah. I know everybody's expecting him to. I'm already to, hearing to, the, the Jim why, David why, Jackson comparisons. Right, right. And uh, I know everybody's expecting him to make three-pointers and things like that. He will someday. Well, I, you know, and I don't even – I don't recall him, him being a great statistical three-point shooter right. in high school. I, I, I don't think he was. I think he was maybe high 30s. Um, so that, that doesn't translate to him shooting the lights out as a freshman, right? But he was recruited because he was a good fit for Mike Young's system. He knows how to play hard, and he's got a high basketball IQ. Yeah. Well, what did you think about uh, Naheem Aline, 18 points on Yeah, Friday? that's what I wanted to say is that uh, you're wondering who your other scoring options are going to be, and, mm-hmm. and Aline's looking like that guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, in addition to uh, Landers Nolly. Um, the other thing I that I was uh, impressed by and took notice of was the energy coming out of the student section, the turnout and the energy. Um, it was almost full. Uh, and uh, from what I understand, they've changed the ticketing policy, and maybe Malcolm can chime in General on this. General admission now. Yeah, first where, come, first where serve. You still it, have, unless you, you buy student season tickets and you get the first few rows. Ah, right? yeah. so you, you still have to enter the ticket lottery, but once you do get a ticket, you can sit wherever you want. And, and Brooke Leonard, who works for WSLS in, in Roanoke, Brooke tweeted that uh, she was there at 530 and the students were lined up outside Castle. That's how you do it. Not to go old man on you, but when I was in school, we had to line up to get the tickets. 
days in advance. And, you know, I, I don't want to commit here. Uh, I remember, I'm not going to say that we were general admission. Uh, that, that may not have been the case. But we've been to enough NIT games over, over time, which were general admission, and it just really adds something to it. it, it I don't know, it just gets them invested. You know, it gets them to come out early. Yeah, it shows you know it shows who the real fans are for sure. You get but, fired up waiting an hour and a half for a game to start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, as a side note, I think I was actually in the last class that had that got to camp out for tickets for football tickets. Yeah, basketball team wasn't good enough to camp out for tickets for when I was in school. But uh, I remember camping out for the Miami game in two thousand one. I remember uh, that they put student ticket. Uh, I think we started camping out in October. In late October, for uh, for the for Miami tickets. Wow! And that was when you lined up in Castle in a line, uh, and everybody had an athletic card. And I think whoever yeah. was in line for your group Good. could have a certain amount of tickets or whatever. And uh, yeah. and yeah, everybody started li- uh, camping out in late October, and that we were the last class that was allowed to camp out because, uh, but they thought the the area right there across from Castle wasn't cleaned up properly. Man, that, that that that's another topic that we could we could spend. Yes, yeah, but it's because I've got some stories about camping out for mm-hmm. tickets. Last thing uh, about tech, I just want to hit home on the on the point that Chris brought up on Wednesday about the podcast, and and that is that this team, how young they are, there's going to be some growing pain. And Landers Nolly coming off of that incredible performance, thirty points against Clemson, struggled a little bit against. Didn't Colorado make a field goal in the first half. Right, but I don't know. I didn't notice him forcing it or anything like that. Uh, just, I thought he forced a couple that either led to a bad shot selection or a turnover. Um, and honestly, he did that in the second half against Clemson. You know, he missed I, – I, I'm, I'm just guessing off the top of my head. I think he was probably only like one of his last six or one of his last seven from the field against Clemson. Yeah, he wasn't really a factor late in that right, game. Right, because he started forcing things. So, he's got to learn to play within the offense. Um, but he's got to have help, of course. If he knows he's got help, he's less likely to for, force things. So – we need uh, Naheem Aline to, yeah. to keep scoring like that. And the ironic thing is Aline was placed in the starting lineup because Mike Young felt like he had the best defensive game of everybody against Clemson. Mm. So that's why he started him. Did he replace Hunter? He did. Yeah, um, and Aline is next to Nolly is probably the most, certainly the most talented scorer on the team. I said that in my Friday Q&A. Uh, I know a scout who thinks Aline's going to be a 1,200-point scorer, yep. at least for Virginia Tech. And he looks the part. You know, he's left-handed. I can't decide if I think he's more Bibbs or more Zabian. Or maybe some kind of combination of the two, but uh, he's a good-looking player. He he will uh, he will get buckets, as what B. Sabidi said after the game. Well, speaking of Beedi, by the yeah. way, he was a Let's rebound away from a double-double of rebounds the hard and way. assists. Yeah. Yeah. A double-double the hard way, and in 24 minutes. Correct. Oh, right. God, it, it, uh, yeah. So somebody needs to get Mike Young's ear and say, "Get him out there and get him another get, get him rebound. another rebound." Only scored right. three points, but I mean, nearly a double-double, and he yeah. had nine defensive rebounds. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I just. Said I mean, it's, I'm sorry. Well, it's <laughs> it's so important that he be able to as a point guard dominate rebounding as a point guard this year against other point guards because Tech isn't big enough. You're not going to be able to ask PJ Horn to get eight, nine, ten boards. I mean, there's going to be games like last night. You know, he didn't. What he get three rebounds, right? Yeah. And the, the competition's going to be tougher. And he's he's not the biggest guy in the world. So you absolutely have to have Will Beatty be an effective rebounder this year or Tech's going to get killed on the glass and you know, what I like about Beatty is he knows who he is. Um I know everybody wants him to get better offensively, of course, and be a little more of a scoring threat and so do I. 
But the important thing is he play within himself and understand who he is as a player and what he absolutely has to do to make this team successful. Is it more important that WBCB score or rebound for this team, this particular team? This probably, particular probably team. rebound. Right. Um, because if he do, if he can't do it, then you know Nolly will be a good rebounder because he, he's a tall guy for a three. Um, I think Couture looks like a good rebounder for a two. I, I think Tex Wings are good rebounders. Couture had position. eight rebounds. Radford had eight rebounds. Right, right. Yeah, so I think Tex perimeter players look like pretty good rebounders. Uh, Wilkins but, had seven. Right, but th- th- they don't have anybody in the post that can do that. So it's very important that Beattie and, and the other guys as mm-hmm. well you know, continue to make to continue to make that a part of their game because they can't give up a lot of second chance points this year or, or – or things will get rough for them. So, so the kind of stuff we're talking about sounds like a, as a as a team a relatively high basketball IQ, and then that can make make up for a lot of other sins. Well, last thing, how about PJ Horn bearing two threes in the first three minutes of the game? <laughs> that guy tweeted something like, "Our center is the best three point shooting center in the country." Of course, our center is six five. So. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently uh, he's worked really hard in the offseason. Apparently on, on so. Well, shooting well and he didn't shoot them a lot last year, but I've, I've always told that he was capable of making them. And then if he had played the four for Buzz instead of the five, you would have been able to see that a little bit more. And certainly with that team, he didn't need to be jacking up threes. No, no, yeah. not at yeah. all. No, just want to make that point. Okay, I uh, definitely want to turn it over to Malcolm here in just a moment, but I want to get Will's quick thoughts here. I'm going to give you the floor uh, on Virginia Tech Wrestling. Uh, great day at English Field yesterday, the first ever Matt on the Mound event. Top 25 duel, number 11 Virginia Tech, fresh off a win over number 9 Missouri, number 21 Northwestern, their season debut. They brought two All-Americans in, nearly 3,000 people in the stands. Uh, came down to the heavyweight uh, matchup, John Borst getting the major decision. What did you think of the event? How was the day for you? And uh, how did you think Hokie Nation liked the event? Wow. Let's see. Where do I start? Um, there's a there's a website that uh, I go to called WrestleStat.com, and you can pit teams against each other. Pick, pick Virginia Tech, pick Northwestern, and they will project the winners in each weight class. And it pretty much went like uh, they said it would. Um, a lot of the times it does. I remember when Tech lost to Duke last year. Ooh, that, North that, Carolina. Didn't they, didn't they lose to Duke Wrestling, or was it UNC? It was oh, UNC. Gosh, that makes it even worse. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the one we'd like to get back. But anyway, back to this one. Um, the, those you, you said Northwestern came in with two, two All-Americans? Two All-Americans, well, yep. They were pretty darn good. They were. Um, and so the, the, from a wrestling standpoint, the day kind of went like we thought it would. I think the pin from uh, – who had the pin? Mitch was Moore Mitch? at 141. He now had a, had a pin against Missouri, and then he had a pin yesterday, so he's uh, – yeah. Two starts on the year. And that, that was a gob of team points early on that was good to have. And then I think the one uh, late that uh, um, went better than people thought it would, and I think Tony Roby alluded to this, was Stan Smeltzer. Mm-hmm. Um, Smeltzer was predicted to to lose, I think, even a major decision, 13-5. to five, almost And won. he almost won that thing. I think he wound up losing 5-3, to three, and that was a takedown somewhere in the third period. But let's get to the event without getting bogged down in the minutia of wrestling. The event itself – Weather was excellent. It was mid-60s and sunny. Um, and I sat in the sun and was actually hot. And that got me to looking at that mat thinking, man, I'll bet that mat's actually hot. It's sitting in the sun. And, and I meant to text Jake Lyman, who was covering it for us, and tell him, ask the wrestlers about the mat. Was the mat hot? You, you didn't want to be on the bottom. You did not want to be, be the guy getting riding time thrown at you on that. But uh, – it, it was all great, except my only complaint being in 
uh, and I don't know if they'll do this again. November weather can be so sketchy. But actually being in the park, uh, out on the big video board, uh, you know, way across, way across the field, uh, they showed the team score in huge numbers. But while an individual match was going on, you, you couldn't see the score. Um, and you can sort of follow. They, they tell you, you know, two points for a takedown. You can add them up as you go along. But it's, it's kind of hard. And so I couldn't see the score of the individual match out there on the video board. And they have a, a, a display that they put right next to the mat that shows the timer, right, um, the score, Riding right time, time. Yeah. couldn't see that. It was washed out by the sun. So there was a little bit of, I don't know what's going on, going on. Uh, um, but that was my only, uh, um, I don't want to call it a complaint. That's only my negative observation. Um, it was a pretty cool event. Uh, and it's interesting, you, you can tell, you know, when, when Hunter Bolin came up to, is it, is it pronounced Bolin or Bolin? Bolin. When Hunter Bolin came up to Ralph, so he's from Christiansburg, right? Mm-hmm. Crowd got top loud. ten. Oh yeah. Oh, he's excellent. I think he's ranked tenth in the country. Had a big redshirt year last year. He's, he's, is he's he a redshirt sophomore? Redshirt sophomore. He's ACC freshman of the year. Two years ago, they redshirted him last year. Wow. He was named one of Matt's top freshmen. Big deal. It's a different kind of redshirt. You would you would like wrestling, Chris, on how many wrestlers get redshirted. It is and they, a big, and they get to re, they get to wrestle. While they get to red-shirted. wrestle. So they go to different yeah. tournaments. They wrestle unattached. So they wrestle right. for. Uh, I believe it's the training center. They don't. They're not affiliated with Virginia yeah, right. Tech per se. But right, yeah. yes, you, you you would be happy to see it. Like Makai Lewis, red shirt. So so, I, so um, what, what what if what if you could take? I've, I've I've thrown this option out there before. What what if the Friday night before the Virginia Tech UNC game, they brought all their football players that were red shirting and all their walk ons who don't play, and then all our players who were red shirting and all our walk ons who didn't play played a JV game. Well, that used to be the value of the JV games that they right. would play. Well, except except you couldn't play if you were red shirting. It would really? uh, you play in a JV game, it would waste your red shirt. Oh, yeah, that's stupid. Uh, and, that, and that is stupid, yes. Yeah. And so I would be in favor of breaking well, that, that back. That was stupid. <laughs> don't, don't call it JV. Call, call it because everybody has a negative view towards J, you know, JV. Oh, you're not on varsity. You're on the JV team or whatever. Call it the, the development game or the B team or something like that. And, and if the other team doesn't want to play it, that's fine. But uh, yeah, Charge five bucks a ticket, general admission? Sure. Sure, go That's and nice. and you roll in there and and watch, you know, Earl. Well, not so much right now because he's the backup quarterback. But earlier this year, you could have seen Quincy Patterson against uh, against Duke's team, Duke's backups and, right. and walk-ons, like on Thursday night or something like Chris that. Chris Coleman, you know? the coach of the redshirt team. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm just telling, you. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. Like the grad assistants could coach it. I yeah, honestly, I think so, it would be good for guys' development. So wrestling rankings tend to be more accurate they're, they're almost like tennis rankings tennis yeah. rankings are hyper accurate yep and uh wrestling rankings are accurate because yeah i got red shirted but you know exactly what he did and wrestling unattached oh he makai lewis was like unreal when he was wrestling unattached yeah, yeah everybody knew when makai started as a redshirt freshman he was ranked in really the top good. 10 for instance bolin coming back or makai was still right i think he was ranked 12th to start have that guy's a sixth year senior one day gonna, who makai makai yeah. lewis yeah because you'll come back as a redshirt sophomore next year. Yeah, when he's now, really wait, wait a minute. Athletes are allowed to make money now off their likenesses. Mm-hmm. So Makai might be famous enough in the tech community that he could uh, he could make money off of his likeness and not have to, quote-unquote, be a six-year senior. He could leave early and go pro or whatever. I'm, I'm being silly. Yeah, I'm no, not sure exactly what I'm saying. A lot of options saying. for him. I Sometimes I just well. say crazy stuff. <laughs> so we are a little bit over now. We've had a great show. Uh, do want to get some Facebook uh, questions in here. Malcolm has been waiting patiently over there, the best producer in the land. What's going on today, my friend? 
Good morning. All right, let's start with Tom Dunnington. Besides Clemson, uh, are we playing better? Mm. Are we playing better than the rest of the week ACC? That's a good question. Well, let's let's go up and down the list. Duke, no. Carolina's up and down from a week to week basis. Um, Meaning we are playing better than Duke. Yes. 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 Oh, absolutely. Um, um, Pitt's offense isn't good enough, um, so they're that they're up and down. George, remember the pit you actually see against play against Virginia Tech isn't the same pit that plays against everybody else. <laughs> um, Georgia, Georgia Tech, <laughs> Georgia Tech, no. Um, you, all right, y'all start naming some other teams. Well, Boston, Boston College, College, Boston College, Florida State. Boston College has gotten better, but they lost to Florida State. Florida State and Miami are playing better. Yeah, well, well Florida, Florida State's one and zero. You only have one game coach. of, of Miami's playing better. Syracuse, but Syracuse is awful. Um, uh, NC State, they got crushed by Clemson. Wake was playing well until they played Virginia Tech. Uh, NC State's playing poorly. You, you can make a strong argument. Yes, Virginia Tech is playing like the second best team in the conference right I, now. I think if you were to see power rankings that had Virginia Tech at number two, I, I think that would not be completely silly. You're not going to see it, right? But because people still remember that 45 to 10 game, I, think. I still remember that 45 <laughs> to 10, <laughs> right? Um, but I, I mean, I. I don't know where I would I would I'd have to sit down and, and look at every single team. Uh, but you know I thought Wake Forest was the second best team in the conference, and Tech hammered handled them pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. So and then now it's going to be a week to week thing. I mean this is a young football team. It's easy to get up for Notre Dame. It's easy to get up for UNC at home. It's easy to get up for a rank Wake Forest team on Bud Foster Day. Now you're going to go to Georgia Tech. The stadium's going to be half empty. They're two and seven. It's a different kind of challenge. Yeah, they're two and seven, but they're actually better. They're a better version of two and seven than I thought they would be. I mean, they almost they played UVA a really good game this past week. I think that was in Charlottesville. It was. Too. It sure was. Oof. Yeah. Um, so uh, certainly not a gimme. So it's just a different type of challenge that this team's got to face. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it's one. They, it's a challenge that they haven't faced so far this year. Coming off a big win, going on the road against a team that is not expected. Every to team them. has to learn how to handle handle success, right. not just adversity, but success. This team has proven they know how to handle adversity. Right. Uh, they have not proven that they know how to handle success yet. Yeah. And that, but they have a chance to do that this week. So when you see a somebody projecting Tech to play in the Orange Bowl, that's that's not ridiculous. It's um, not. If, if they win the next three games, if, if, just to make sure I get this correct, if Tech wins out, they will play in the Orange Bowl. Is that correct? If Clemson goes to the playoffs, yeah. Well, yes. either way, Tech will be playing in the Orange Bowl because if Tech won out and beat Clemson, well, yeah. Which, well, I'm sorry, Tech I should have said the, the regular season. Right, I was right, assuming. Right. What, what, but but you're you're lose. you're correct either way. I think the Orange Bowl has to take the highest ranked ACC team, right? Uh, yeah. Which, which at that point would, would probably have to be, be Virginia us. Tech. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that win against Wake Forest went a long way in terms of that. That yeah. kind of thing. No yeah. doubt. All right. What's up next, Malcolm? What we got? Uh, Tom Lester wants y'all's opinion of Kill's influence so far. We get that question all the yeah, time. It's, it's so hard to say. I, I don't think I think certain things have happened. There's no coincidence. I don't think there's any coincidence that Deshaun McLeese just looks like a completely different running back now yeah. as far as his vision and his patience. I don't know if uh, Jerry Kill's influence caused the quarterback change or not. That's anybody's guess. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Uh, I do think sometimes you have to have – an outside pair of eyes that maybe aren't so close to everything. Like Mac Brown's got two of those guys at UNC. Listen, I, I do that all the time. I got people I talk to about this business that don't actually work for it and don't sure. actually deal with it. 
and I, I get notions and I call them up and they talk me out of my tree or they say, yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Right. You need somebody. Yeah. Um, it's very valuable. Um, so I don't think we can say there's no concrete evidence that he's made a huge impact. Um, he certainly hasn't been a negative. Uh, that's for sure. So I, I'm I'm leaning towards. You know, he's at least had a, a moderate hand in, in in the turnaround for sure. I, I still think one of his his that he'll have a big influence on the defensive coordinator hire. That's I think. I think that he is in a position to take the time and do the research and make suggestions sure. and analyze the personnel. I think that's where his real value is. Everybody wants to talk about this mythical Jerry Kill creature and what he's done <laughs> for the Hokies right now. I think I think it's a lot of it is about helping Fuente and Babcock hire the next defensive coordinator. Great question. Here's an interesting one from uh, Charles Bowman. Where'd it go? Uh, any truth to the rumor that Virginia Tech, like assistant coaches or equipment managers, were squirting water on Wake players before? I don't think Clausen would make that up. So if you missed it, Dave Clausen going into halftime, fussed it. I think Kelsey Riggs was working the sidelines, and and uh, he was fussing at the refs about something. And Herzlig and Cotter noticed it, and they went down to Kelsey Riggs, and Kelsey said, "Coach, I noticed you're upset about something. You want to talk about that?" And he said that I can't remember exactly how he phrased it. But he wasn't talking about fans. Some Virginia Tech personnel were squirting water bottles on on the he Wake said, Forest players. He said student trainer after the game, I think, to the media when I right. read the quote, which means it would have had if it's student trainers for Virginia Tech that it would have to have meant they were doing it when Wake Forest players were running out of bounds on the Virginia Tech sideline. Because why would a student trainer be on the Wake Forest sideline? Interesting. Okay. Right. So if that's what he's talking about. Because the the only Virginia Tech personnel that's on the Wake Forest sideline are the guys ball that hold boys. the ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not doing it. I was I was watching on TV when that happened. He, so any Clawson truth to the rumor? Fired up. We don't know. I have no idea. You know, I, yeah. you know, some and it, this. Mm, I went on our boards this morning and somebody said, Clawson is an ass. He's a, he hates Virginia Tech. Blah blah blah. No. No, there if that was, was no, anybody else. You'd be why fired would Dave Clawson make something like that up? Right. No, uh, in the so, middle of a football game. <laughs> <laughs> and then talk about it later. No, I, I think that there's some, uh, there's something to I it. I mean, there's know? clearly something to it. As soon as the uh, podcast is over, I'll DM Whit Babcock uh, and say, "Hey, what? I mean, what's up with that?" But <laughs> I don't know. You know, honestly, I don't know. My seats are in section 15, all, directly opposite the tech sideline, so I, can, I can't see all. So the to way answer your there. question, something happened. something happened. <laughs> I'm sure, sure of it. But did, did it have an outcome on the game? No. No. Nah. <laughs> all right, uh, Eddie Bowes. What changes about special teams during the game that made them seem more productive in the second half? Tavion Robinson, I'm sure, right? Uh, that's, yeah. I, I Robinson think, returning punts. Yeah, Grimsley wasn't having his best game back there. Uh, Wake hasn't been good on special teams this year as far as coverage and things like that. So it could certainly have something to do with the fact that Wake is just bad at special teams. Yeah. And, Sometimes and it's as simple as the other team being bad. Oscar Bradburn, four punts, averaged 48 yards oh, a he's, punt, he's put great. three of them inside the 20. Yeah. yeah. Um, and our guy, the Tex guys were down there to field those too. Um, uh, gosh. They actually – Tech actually got kind of close to blocking a punt or two also. Tech's punt team has been really good this year. Punt team, Bra- punt team, Bradburn and the Gunners yeah. and everything. I, I think yeah. I think they've been very good. So I, I don't know. The only obvious change was putting Tavion Robinson at punt returner, right. and that worked out pretty well. Nope. It did. Nope. Hmm. All right, we'll do a couple more. Uh, Angie Catlett 
Could Notre Dame be an issue for ACC teams getting picked for a bowl this year? I can't remember off the top of my head which bowl has to take Notre Dame if they're available. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure either. That's that's a good question. Um, Back in the Big East days, it, it was a it was a cut and dried agreement that was easier to understand, and right. there were fewer bowls. I, I got to admit, I don't know. I don't know if the, with the Orange Bowl could they take Notre Dame over another race? I, I don't I don't know that they would if if the, if the some of the media is actually making projections for Tech to be in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I, uh, and I also haven't looked at Notre Dame's remaining schedule. I'm not sure who they have left. Um, so, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the they they would the Orange Bowl could take Notre Dame over another. I don't ACC think team. the Orange Bowl's agreement with the ACC includes Notre okay. Dame bumping an ACC okay. team. I, but so Evan is furiously typing on his keyboard trying to look it up uh-huh. um, because Chris and I clearly don't know. Yeah. Um. Uh, okay, so this is an article written by Brett McMurphy, formerly of ESPN, November fourteenth, two thousand twelve. ACC Orange Bowl reach 2012. deal, but it's a twelve year deal he's writing about here. So this is okay. two thousand twenty four. So he says the selection of the ACC's representative's opponent will be based on securing the highest ranked team in the final standings available from the Big Ten, the SEC, or Notre Dame. However, the Big Ten and SEC teams must appear at least three times each during the 12-year life of the deal, while Notre Dame can appear in the game a maximum of only two times. There is no minimum number of requirements by Notre Dame. So two times in 12 years? And have they done it yet? They, didn't they get crushed by Clemson at one point? No, 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 no. no yeah, that would have been a playoffs probably. So yeah. I need I, – I'll try and uh, – Yeah, I'm not so sure. It's, it's, it's complicated. And, and that was a 2012 contract. Well, the, the league has expanded since then, and contracts and, and, and get that, rene- renegotiated all the time. That was pre-college football playoff also, right? Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm guessing that contract has changed. No, actually, no, it has. So here's what he says. In the years when the ACC champion or another ACC team qualifies for the four-team national semifinals – then the next highest ranked ACC team would play in the Orange Bowl. No okay. mention of Notre Dame. No mention of Notre Dame. So there's Dame. a path for Notre Dame to play an ACC team, not replace an ACC team, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, something like that is what it sounds like. So, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, Notre Dame could certainly have an impact. Uh, I don't know. Would they knock Tech out of the Belk Bowl to the Music City Bowl or vice yeah, versa? Point, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not too worried about it right now. If, um I'll, we will do the research though, and before the end of the season, once once the pitcher becomes a little less muddy, Murky, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it does look like they might win out. They've got even though Navy is ranked twenty first this week when they play Notre Dame, they've got Boston College and then Stanford, who is having a really down year for Stanford. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we'll see. I do if they won one of the if they lose one of those games, go they're ranked sixteenth. I don't see a path where they would get a. Uh, a New Year's Six Bowl. Mm-mm. So yeah. even at 16 right now, they need a little bit of help. There's no guarantee of them at 16 right now. They, they need to probably get to about 12 or higher to be in striking range for a New Year's Six Bowl. So There's a lot of football game left yep. to be played. We're sitting here about talking about Tech going to the Orange Bowl when I'm really worried about George Tech. I'm normally not worried about a 2-7 and seven team. But you know the Hokies could go zero and three as easily as they could go three and zero. Right. Absolutely, and that leaves them. Uh, they need to get to seven for the ball eligibility. So um, let's. Uh, I think it's a good point to stop bringing up Georgia Tech because that is what the focus of conversation will be on Wednesday podcast. Wednesday morning, we'll talk about Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech coach Fuente looks for his first win over the Yellow Jackets. Uh, that game's going to be played in Atlanta, and I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Chris that I think that uh, you should tune in. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about oh Pittsburgh UVA. Don't don't sleep don't on the sleep Yellow on Jackets. Uh, they'll sting you. It's no, uh, it's, no, you, uh, it's no spread option, but it's just the fact that it's a, just a different kind of challenge. It's easy to get up for those other games, and 
And, you know, if tech goes down there and, like, steamrolls Georgia Tech, I'll be really impressed because it shows that a really young group of players is able to turn the page right. on a big victory. They've uh-huh. already shown they can turn the page on a tough loss. But uh, this would complete the circle. And this would put Tech in a – make them bowl eligible. But, man, that put him at 7-3, and three, really in a strong position yeah. going down the stretch. Uh, TechSideline.com, of course, has all of the great content for Virginia Tech Athletics. CC, what's our normal week looking like? A uh, normal week plus basketball. Plus, Will's actually <laughs> going to write a Monday Thoughts today. That's right. Looking forward to that. Uh, Friday q and I'm sure Brandon Patterson will have some stuff. Jake yes. Lyman's got a great article on the wrestling uh, duel from yesterday up. Inside um, the Numbers. True freshman report. Oh, we got, we got a uh, we got an article uh, coming up from Corey Van Dyke we, today. We do about Bud Foster with some interviews from uh, Bud's former players and some yeah. of the best stories you could hear on Bud and things like that. So that's going to be a really good read. Fantastic. Really looking forward to that. Looking forward to Wednesday's podcast. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about basketball as well as it's officially crossover season. But a great show today. I want to thank everybody for chiming in on Facebook. Uh, any final words before we uh, before we part? Nope. Okay. All right. That's going to do it for Monday's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, breaking down the win over Wake Forest and a little bit of hokey hoops and wrestling. Uh, For our fantastic producer, behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. On the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman. Our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. This has been the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the official law firm. And we'll talk to you Wednesday morning, previewing Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech.